New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Linda Graham. She's the author of Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. Linda, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's grand to have you. Thank you for coming. Your work is about resilience and about neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. and how our brains can... Actually, we can enhance the ability to be resilient. Mm -hmm. How can we do that? So resilience basically is our capacity to cope, our capacity to respond to disappointments, difficulties, disasters in our lives with ways that are flexible and adaptive and skillful. Very often we have learned ways of responding to life events that are not so adaptive, that are not so skillful, but they're part of our unconscious conditioned repertoire, and we'll do them automatically without thinking. Because the brain has neuroplasticity, because it's quite capable of creating new neurons, creating new connections between the neurons, creating new circuits and new neural pathways, it's possible for us to learn new behaviors, even create new habits of behaving well and installing those in our long-term memory so that we can be far more resilient going forward. We can be far more flexible and adaptive. So I'm teaching tools to be able to help the brain use its own neuroplasticity to create new patterns, new conditioning, to rewire or recondition old patterns when they're problematic, And then also using another mode of processing that I call deconditioning, which is simply tapping into the default network of the brain where it does more of its own playing and connecting dots on its own to be able to come up with very different relationships to ourselves and to our experiences that allow us to be more resilient. So with those three ways of changing the patterns we have of responding, we can be much more resilient. And when we learn how to do it and have a sense of mastery and competence, we actually can feel much more trusting of ourselves about going through life. So this is an actual conscious effort on our part. In At order, least at first, right. Right. In order to rewire the brain and become more resilient, we have to become present. We have to pull out of denial and out of distraction and out of dissociation. We have to show up and be engaged. We have to set an intention because that primes the receptivity of the brain, the plasticity of the brain. And then we have to persevere. The brain learns by repeated experiences. When there's an experience, neurons in the brain fire. When you repeat the experience, Neurons repeat their firing. When neurons repeat their pattern of firing, they strengthen the connections between them. That's what Donald Hebb said many, many years ago, neurons that fire together wire together. So when we repeat experiences, we're actually creating the circuits and the pathways. The scientists have no agreement whatsoever about how often we have to repeat something for it to be installed in long-term memory. That really varies from person to person and event to event, but it does take repetition. So my friend Paul Gilbert, who's a psychologist in the UK, says little and often, 
do things little and often, it makes it a lot easier for the brain to remember. So not just uh, once a week, some marathon sort of session with yourself, but every day a little bit, five minutes here, five minutes there is more effective. Exactly. Yeah. You you use some uh, term called window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean by window of tolerance? That's a term coined originally by Dan Siegel, and it's used in trauma therapy primarily. The natural state of our body brain is a kind of physiological equilibrium where we can be calm and relaxed, but we're engaged and alert. And from there, we can respond to the various events of our lives in ways that are skillful and flexible. When we get frightened and when we feel threatened or if we're in a sense of danger, then we tend to respond out of our very automatic hardwired in by evolution, survival responses, and those are basic to everyone on the planet. Fight, flight, freeze, numbing out, and collapsing. And when we're faced with life threat or danger, we'll do those things without thinking. We do them faster than thinking. And so in order to be able to move beyond those survival responses, we need to be able to re-engage the higher brain, re-engage the prefrontal cortex, so that we're not remaining in an alarm state. So we want tools and techniques that will actually expand our window of tolerance. We can relate and respond to more events without going into our fight-flight-freeze, or we're able to recover more quickly. So a lot of the tools that I teach in the book are for calming down the nervous system, calming down the body-brain, so that we can actually come back into that state of equilibrium, and our higher brain comes back online, and we're able to think and function again. Yes, you're talking, I'm recalling some experiments that were done by Barbara Fredrickson, I think, Mm -hmm. out of the University of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And she had people sit, you may remember this, uh, sit in front of a computer. Mm -hmm. And some of them were in more of that flight and freeze sort of emotional state. Mm -hmm. And then some of them were in a more expansive, calm uh, Mm -hmm. state. And her research showed that those people who were in a more calm state, when they reported back, their peripheral vision actually expanded, that they could say, oh, I saw this on the computer screen, and they just saw all sorts of things. Whereas those people that were in that more narrow window of tolerance, they had more tunnel vision. Exactly. And therefore, they didn't have as many creative options. So when we're in our survival mode, it is tunnel vision. Everything narrows, everything contracts, our vision field, our auditory field, and our psychological field. We're just not paying attention to very much except what's right in front of us that's scaring us. When we can bring in any kind of somatic practice that will calm the body down again, when we can bring in a positive emotion practice, which will shift that functioning back out to a more open, curious, optimistic point of view, then we're able to think, see, hear, and choose. You used the word adaptive earlier, Mm -hmm. and it reminds me of a quote by Darwin, and it's very interesting because everybody kind of thinks of Darwin about survival of the fittest, but actually his whole thought was much different than that. And this is a quote that you point out in the book. You quote Charles Darwin as saying, it's not the strongest of the species 
that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is the most adaptive to change. Absolutely. We learn from the experiences of our lives early on, from the people around us early on, and we develop certain styles of coping. Because it works, we will often do that over and over and over again. And we may not learn other more flexible tools of coping. But when we want to be resilient, we actually want 20 tools in our toolbox, not just the ones that we learned when we were first growing up. So to become more resilient, we're actually learning new, different, more adaptive ways of coping. Sometimes that means being able to confront and be willing to let go of strategies that we've adapted before that no longer work so well, either for ourselves or between us and other people. Linda, can you say something about how mindfulness relates to resilience? So in order to cope consciously, skillfully, resiliently, adaptively, we have to be able to know what's going on. We have to be able to see clearly what's going on and our reactions to what's going on. Because very often we are driven by our own inner voices, inner tapes, inner habits. So we need to know what's and going mostly on. mostly our inner critic. <laughs> right. Often, very often our inner critic. So we need to be able to see what's going on out there, but as importantly, what's going on in here. And mindfulness so strengthens the brain, it strengthens the structures that we use to attune to ourselves, to know what we're feeling and experiencing inside of our own body. When we combine that with compassion and care and kindness for what we're experiencing. So we're not beating ourselves up for how we're reacting to what we're noticing. We're accepting how we're reacting to what we're noticing with some kindness and tenderness. Then the field can stay open. This is what's happening. This is how I feel about myself. This is how I feel about that. Now, what are my choices? And very often part of that is I'm not the only person on the planet that has ever experienced this. So it it brings us out to the field of common humanity, which really greatly opens up our resources and our options as well. And I'm getting the image, too, that compassion towards ourselves, self-compassion, is like putting on our own oxygen mask. I mean, it's not selfish to do that. So some of the major blocks to a compassion or self-compassion practice is the conditioning that we've gotten from culture, from society, from media, maybe from our parents, that to be compassionate, kind, caring, even focused on yourself is selfish, self-indulgent, or that it's weak and vulnerable. And we don't want to be accused of either one. But self-compassion actually helps us deal with the shame that's evoked by thinking, oh, I'm selfish or I'm weak and vulnerable. And the self-compassion actually helps us open up past that. I'm a human being. Human beings are not perfect. Life is hard. I want to deal with this right now. And I know that you make a point in your book that as we work on ourselves, we work on our self-compassion, we understand that we open our window of tolerance, we open ourselves to being kind, It's not just self-indulgent, but it actually contributes to the world because then we are better able to make a contribution in a positive way to the world around us. 
we are able to make a positive contribution to the world around us however we choose to do that. And probably one of the biggest benefits of being able to be mindful and compassionate about our patterns and our reactions and how we've been coping up until now and how can we cope more resiliently, more flexibly, more adaptively, is that it improves our relationships with other people. And the greatest happiness we have as human beings is being with other people and feeling connected and belonging and loved with other people. So as we become more mindful, more compassionate, more resilient, we're much better able to have relationships with other people. And that brings us great well-being. I wrote the book for resilience and well-being. Because when we can be more resilient and more adaptive and more flexible, we're going to move into that realm of well-being. Linda, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking with Linda Graham, and she's the author of Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. And if you want to know more about her work, she does a... um, e-newsletter entitled Healing and Awakening into Aliveness and Wholeness, and she does weekly e-quotes on resources for recovering resilience, which are archived on our website, lindagram-mft.net. That's lindagram-mft.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.